Hello, and welcome to Spotlight On, the podcast that brings together business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts covering a range of topics. I'm Nicholas Barton, founder and CEO of the Barton Partnership. We're an award-winning executive recruitment and consulting solutions firm, providing permanent search and independent consulting services across strategy, sustainability, and M&A, data and analytics, and transformation and change. Today, I'm excited to welcome Sasha Watson. Sasha sits on the group leadership team at Moonpig and is responsible for all HR workplace and most recently has taken co-ownership of sustainability. Prior to Moonpig, she worked with Cambridge technology company Arm as VP employee experience. Before joining Arm, Sasha was head of internal communications in the retail business at Barclays Bank and previously director of internal and external communications for Europe, Middle East and Africa at SAP. Sasha, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Can you start by telling us about your career journey and what drove you to get to where you are today? Sure. So thank you for having me. I I really appreciate it. I I think I'll start by saying, like I think most people, I didn't plan to get here uh, at all, actually. I just worked hard and felt really clear as I was growing up that I, I wanted to be, quote unquote, successful uh, and I didn't know what that I didn't know what that looked like. You know, I come from very humble beginnings. I was raised by an incredible single mother and grew up in quite a rough area. But I think that's character building uh, certainly is for the corporate world. Um, yes. And um, I think I, I really did follow my heart, although I didn't know at the time when I look back, I. I I followed what felt right. And I think that with huge drive and determination um, and not really accepting no and can't, I, you know, I I put myself through university. I was a third to my family to go to university. So I went and got a job and paid paid fees uh, myself. And I didn't even know about Oxbridge and Russell Group either. I just went to I literally went to university because of the commute and distance um, to to stay home. So drive determination. I took opportunities where they where where they came. I didn't take no for an answer. I put myself out there. I said yes lots. I failed and tried again. And I think, you know, where I got to where I am today is I just followed my nose because I love people. And it just led me to a career in HR, which actually my second career, I started in communications and PR. So I followed my heart, um, but I also worked hard. It's really good to hear. And I'm a bit blown away by the fact that you put yourself through university and all that stuff. But that's a story that a lot of people share. It's not unknown. It seems to be the way for a lot of people. The board at Moonpig has committed to increasing the combined representation of women and ethnic minorities in the extended leadership team to at least have 50% by 2025. Can you share some of the strategies and initiatives you are implementing to help achieve this goal? Sure. And and look, I was front and centre in setting setting that goal because it's very important that we have parity, not just gender, which is very important. Of course it is, I can say that as woman, but also other types of diversity. And we have chosen ethnicity and gender because they are the marked diverse groups that are missing from leadership teams. Um, there are other diverse groups that are also missing, but we started with those because they are the ones missing. So I think the first that the first strategy for anyone is around, you know, data and measurement. You know, the first thing we did was take a good look at what is our baseline? Where are we? And how do we track that measurement over the years to 2025? And, and we are doing very well. 
you know, first proper year in after setting that goal. Um, Another strategy is around having our eye on future upcoming leaders. It's not all about the people in the seat right now. It's actually about the talent that's growing that you might want to give an opportunity um, to in two or three years time. And it's actually starting leadership journeys earlier. That's been a real thing that, that I focused on this year. I've set some hard rules, frankly, around vacancies. So if we get vacancies in senior positions, you know, we try and fill those vacancies with diverse candidates. Um, And that is harder and it takes longer. And sometimes it's more expensive, but that's just how it is. I have an incredible talent acquisition team who have brought in some incredible talent, but certainly, you know, that's an easy one, right? You get a vacancy, you get a seat or you create a new role, you know, set yourself the challenge of making sure that's a direct um, hire. And then I think it's around, um, you know, internally and externally, focusing on whatever minority groups that are um, important to you and making sure you are being inclusive of those groups and showing possibilities inside and outside of your your organisation. But also, you know, there are some parts of our development programmes that are a little bit more tailored towards females and tackling challenges that females more often encounter. I say not always, just more often, like, you know, we've done some some work recently around confidence and we invited everyone, but we said, actually, more women suffer with this. So this is focused on women, but please everyone come along. And we were delighted that lots of um, our other male and non-binary colleagues joined too. So those are just a few things that, that, that I've done and will continue to do to reach that goal. Yeah, that's really good. That that confidence thing comes up a lot, actually, for women. Yes. So it's great that you're, you're recognising that and, and doing sessions around that. So what does inclusion mean to you? And what, in your view, should business leaders be doing to nurture a more diverse and more inclusive workforce? So I'll start with what it means to me. So, you know, there's that very famous Werner Meyers quote around, you know, diversity is being asked to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance. Very famous quote. And I took the liberty, I'm sure she wouldn't mind, uh, <laughs> of, of, evolving, of evolving that for myself because it's really important. I think that quote is a baseline, but I think the world has moved on and, and what we need from inclusion has moved on. So I've evolved it to say inclusion is being asked to the party. So getting the invitation for me is about being included. Diversity is having everyone's favourite tune played. And equality is having the opportunity and choice to dance. And the reason I say those things is I think inclusion is just being at the party. I don't think that's the diversity piece at all. And yeah, so so I mean, I can keep going with that analogy, but I just love that quote as a baseline. Yeah. That, you know, I evolved that because inclusion to me is being invited in and feeling part of that. And then when you're there, the diversity is around hearing all the different types of music. And then actually the equality is saying, I'm just here to sit and chat. Or I'm here to dance or I'm here to whatever. Right. So so that's how I see it. Um, you know, in a workplace context is inclusion has been about having the opportunity to be what you want to be in the, in the, in the organization, 
be it that top table, be it running a function, be it actually just doing a really good job and staying at your level. For me, that's really important around inclusion. I love that. So, yeah, I love the way you've um, evolved it, definitely, as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she won't mind. Uh, <laughs> no, definitely not. You're right. It's, it, it has moved on and it is very different from when we talk, when, you know, when people look at it earlier on. Um, so it's yeah. great that you're recognising that. In terms of leadership action, the second part of your question there's so much buzz, especially the past 12 months around diversity, equality and inclusion. The, the first thing I would say that's that's really stark is, you know, when leaders taking action, mean it, genuinely mean it. You have to be able to deliver wholeheartedly and genuinely on, on your pledges. Again, you know, like my other point around representation is around measurement, publishing and pledging so make sure you can measure success make sure you share what you are doing even if that's just with your population so they understand what's important but make sure you make some pledges like put a stake in the ground and and really mean it like what what does inclusion mean in your organization and what can you deliver on I think it's also around having accountability at the right level I've seen so many LinkedIn um, profiles of chief diversity officers being hired that are tucked away, usually in HR. That's not the right level of accountability and autonomy for that person, in my view, to make a difference. I think the other thing around two last points for leaders is do what you have to do, but also do what you should do. Like so many organisations I see make these pledges and I say, well, of course, you should do that. Um, and of course, because you have to, but what actually should you do? What's the right thing from a moral lens for you to do from your organization? And then I guess the last thing is don't think hiring a person of color fixes DNI. It does not. I'll go back to point number one that take action and mean it. And just hiring that person isn't enough. You've got to do more. Yeah, and absolutely. So in your role at Moonpig, you have recently taken co-ownership of sustainability, which is a big ticket item for everyone. What does that look like in your organisation? And can you share some insight into how Moonpig are prioritising sustainability within the business, please? So I think, I think, you know, if I think back to my my previous point, one of the the big um, steps we've made is to make some very big commitments and very big public commitments, um, because we're taking this very seriously. We're early in our journey, but the great thing about this journey was when we looked back at what we'd achieved, we had achieved a lot more than we appreciated just by the way we operated. So the, the way we do it is it's a collaboration actually across a couple of people. You know, so the person that looks after the E and the environment is our operations team. And they're really focused on our impact on natural resources. And that's, for, you know, our cards, our packaging, using Royal Mail, um, you know, everything um, around our impact on natural resources. Um, and then I work hand on hand on the S and the social part and look at the impact that we're having on our people, on our local communities, but also in wider society. And there's wider society is one, there's a lack of diversity in tech and we're a tech business. But two, the whole ethos of our company is around the well-being in society. So there's a lot we do with mind and around mental health and you know, well-being in society. And then the governance and responsibility part is also led by another board member. And the three of us come together 
to make sure that we are pulling all those three levers and doing the right things and report together on those. And it just works really well because each of us brings that diversity of thought that lens appropriate, which is so good to challenge one another too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an exciting part of our journey um, and I'm delighted to be part of it. It's a personal passion. So I'm super happy to have a stake in that, in that agenda. Yeah, no, you can see it coming out of you. Moonpig has built a culture around positivity, playfulness and connection and, you know, you're living and breathing it, no doubt. How did you maintain this when shifting to a remote and hybrid workplace? I mean, it was not easy, but I'm delighted that across the past two years, there's been no playbook for any leader around how do you navigate the changes we've had to um, we've had to make. But we've we've been able to hire over 100 people. We've been able to increase our engagement scores in spite of what we've been through. And you, you can imagine a high demand for our services across this time. So I guess we have. If I think about the the buckets of activity, there's the connectedness. So we have made sure that we have remained connected, be that in person when that was possible, but also virtually. And we all got to that point where we're like, okay, no more yoga and pub quizzes on Zoom. But but certainly we stayed connected, you know, professionally and personally. So, you know, we had a completely virtual strategy day, which was of course, important to deliver important business messages, but we had a lot of fun. And, and each of us in the leadership team took on a character uh, to, to, to play um, a part. And we, we did the whole thing as like a news broadcast and we had a lot of fun. But we also had that event virtually um, and, you know, and in person um, this year. Um, but then we have sort of coffee drop-ins, right? We have an open Zoom call where people can just drop in with, you know, a hot drink and what's on your mind. And sometimes I join, sometimes I don't. Um, sometimes six people join, sometimes 60 people join. But it, I think it's about connectedness. I think the other piece that we've main, managed to maintain, those around communication, you know, the important thing is dialing up communication. Yeah. And if you say it once on email, say it on another channel, say it in person, and then write it down again that's been super important I think and I think it's around you know we've looked at key points in our employer life life cycle journey and when when do we need to turn the volume up around communication and connectedness you know like onboarding we've had to we had to onboard people remotely so we looked at that very quickly you know getting people new starters on board having our um we, we used to have a, a weekly all hands, you know, as a hybrid meeting where we'd, we'd some of us be in the office, some of us would be at home. That's now and will forever be fully, fully remote. So actually, wherever you are, you're always feel connected to that that weekly company meeting. So, yeah, there's been a whole mixture of things. Um, but I'm so delighted that, you know, the end results are we still hire some incredible people and our engagement continues to remain super high. So, it seems to be working uh, along may it continue as we go into whatever this next phase of working is. Yeah, no, I, I know for our firm, I feel we've come out much stronger and it sounds like for, for you guys as well, you've actually uh, risen to the occasion and actually come out as better, better across everything because you've had to kind of think. So it's good, it's good to hear. Um, many organisations right now 
are struggling with the great resignation. And we can definitely see that in the movement of people now deciding whether they want to stay or go and move on. I'd love to get your perspective on what leaders can be doing to better drive retention within their businesses, particularly in relation to diverse talent. Yeah, so it, it, I read an article yesterday that said, is the great resignation uh, media hype? And I was like, yeah, kind of, but we are definitely in a time where there are more job than great candidates. I, I think I think that is very true. But I don't know. I think that's also because, one, a load of new organisations have been built. Two, a load of organisations have had to add on to their proposition and go digital because they've been forced to. So there were just more jobs in the same companies. But I think three people have taken real stock of their lives and said, I want to do something different. Hmm. And many people are taking the opportunity to do the you only live once uh, leap of faith and go do something different. So I definitely think we're in um, a time where there's a war for talent. For what leaders can do and what, what, what we are doing is you've got to create a great place to work. Offering a great salary, et cetera, is, is one thing, of course. But for me, when I talk to people about why they come or why they might want to leave Moonpig, it's because we've created a great place that people want to work. And it's, um, it's about the culture, the colleagues, but also they come and work on great stuff. It's, a, it's an organisation where, you know, we had someone who was a lawyer um, come and join that thought, actually, I don't know if I'm passionate about this anymore. And she's moved into our security business. You know, so it's about creating a workplace that not only people are able to thrive, but they're able to truly grow. And if you can make that happen inside your organisation, if you look at your data of why people are leaving, it's very telling. If you can create those opportunities inside your organization, that goes a long way, I, I have found. Um, and we've retained some great people by giving them the next chapter inside the organization. And I think it's around, you know, rethinking really about your value proposition. Can you answer the question as a leader, what does it feel like to work in your organization? Now, what does it feel like to be a leader? What does it feel like to work in your organization? You know, where you don't have the autonomy and the power to make a quick decision. Because again, you get some really good insight into why people want to stay and, and how you can be competitive when you've got a great candidate that's got many options. The way you're competitive is this is what it's going to feel like working. And I think the last thing is great people may leave, let them come back. I'm so happy we've had a few boomerangs where people want to go and try a different industry um, or whatever, but leave the door open for great people because they will come back. Don't be annoyed when someone wants to go and grow. Like that means you've done a great job um, and let them come back. So you are the chair of trustees for the charity Future Men. Can you talk a bit around that and about the charity and what your role is within that, please? So, yeah, the charity is called Future Men and it's been going for, um, you know, 20, 20 plus years. And it was born around it used to be called Working with Men, but it's born around helping boys and men navigate the challenges of being a boy and a man in modern society. And, you know, I'm a female, I'm a huge advocate of issues of female. But the reason this is important to me, a few reasons, is if you think about suicide is the biggest killer for men under 45, men also historically have 
very poor help-seeking behaviours. Men are more likely to be in prison, killed, excluded from school, homeless. And when you overlay that on the populations just in the UK of the disadvantaged, the underrepresented, underrepresented and the underserved, many of those roads lead back to men and boys. So it's, it's really important to me as I'm one of six, the other five are brothers. So I have lived and breathed um, and had firsthand experiences of some of the challenges that boys and men have, you know, navigating um, society. So that's why it's really important to me personally and why it should be important to everyone because men get a bad rep, um, but it is not easy, um, you know, being male. And I say that and it's controversial, but it is absolutely true. There's, there's, the data doesn't lie. And my role um, as chair of the trustee board is not as hands-on as it used to be. I've had association with this charity for about 13 years. I started as a volunteer. And I sort of, I guess, have, have just stuck and risen up the ranks uh, as a volunteer. But it's really around the strategy and how can we grow our impact? How can we increase funding? How can we work with organisations? And I'm happy for anyone to reach out if they think there's some, some you know, some synergies there around what we can do together, um, especially corporates, please. You know, it's really around supporting the strategy and development so we can continue to support men and boys, which actually gives us a healthier society. And finally, what advice would you give to the next generation of women starting out in their careers and and perhaps already on that road? Well, I am mother to an incredible 10 year old um, girl. (laughs) So... uh, who, who I am determined uh, and convinced will rule the world one day. Like, wow, I love this next generation coming through and the fearlessness. Um, yes. Just incredible. And look, I will just share what I talked to her about. You know, one, one piece of advice is never stop learning and never lose that muscle around the ability to learn. That's what keeps you relevant and employable and you know, and and just helps enrich you. So never stop learning. Don't be afraid to try and fail. Um, It's very, very important that I always see failure as a learning opportunity, which might sound very, very airy-fairy, but I genuinely say, right, that did not go well. Why didn't it go well? What can I do next time? It's so energizing and enriching. I say that to my daughter. Never be done. So I always say to her, all right, you finished that. What else could you do? And that, I think, is such a good work ethic, right? It's it's not about hours in the day. It's you've you've completed a thought, a piece of work, a presentation. What else could you have done? Back to that always learning, right? Always enriching. You don't need to do one thing. So when I was growing up many, many years ago, there was the I want to be an ex. I've said to my daughter, you don't have to do one thing. You can, you know, she wants to she wants to be in musical theatre and design computer games. I said, you can do both. Why can't you do both? It's fine. There's seven week, there's seven days in a week. Yeah. You don't do one thing. I think that's really important for young, yeah. young generations to think about. You do not have to do one thing. And why we bind ourselves in one thing is beyond me. Know your value. Again, I'm raising a young woman of colour. So it's extremely important to me that she knows her value. And again, I'd say that to all, all younger generation. But I am not talking about, 
I am worth £40,000. I'm talking about what skills, experience, behaviours, value you're going to bring. And then the important lesson here is work hard to keep that value. Know your value, work hard to keep it. And I guess my two last points is one, build your network. I've got many work friends from, you know, my late teens and from my first job and early 20s that could become your business partner. So build your network. And then my last point for any young person and frankly, any human is it costs nothing to be polite, kind and nice. Costs nothing. So never forget that. Oh, thank you, Sasha. It's been such a joy to listen to. And yeah, there's a lot of wise words there, definitely. Thank you. I'm really, really pleased that you did it with us. I'm really pleased.